Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast, brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Thanks for joining us for the Now You Know Akron podcast. I'm your host, Craig Webb. Our spotlight topic for today is the Democratic primary in the 11th Congressional District that includes Cleveland and parts of Akron. It should be noted that we did separate interviews with the frontrunners in the race, Chantel Brown and Nina Turner. And since these were previously recorded, obviously this is a podcast, there may be some late issues and news in their respective campaigns that were not addressed when we recorded this session. But first, here's three things you should know from recent headlines from BeaconJournal.com. Our team reporters from both Akron and Columbus have been following the latest developments in the bribery scandal involving First Energy. The Akron-based utility has agreed to pay a $230 million fine related to the federal investigation that have funneled money to Ohio politicians and officials to help secure a $1 billion rate hike among its customers to help support two nuclear power plants. Reporter Emily Mills took a look at the toxic algae blooms that have forced boaters and swimmers alike off of many Ohio lakes this year and in the past. She particularly looked at Chippewa Lake that has had issues with algae blooms in the past, but this year the problems have been more with flooding, with torrential rains that have fallen throughout the Akron area, with many totals reaching more than a month's worth in three days. Our final topic is COVID-19. It continues to be a concern among health officials, and also city officials throughout our communities. It's particularly being discussed among school boards. Typically, this is the summer months when school board meetings are fairly quiet, but they've been rather active lately as many residents have come out and parents alike to express concerns over whether students will be forced to wear masks come the fall. Two major Ohio school districts, including Cleveland and Columbus, have already decided to mandate masks for both students and faculty, whether they've been vaccinated or not. We will continue to follow that story and many more, which you can find on BeaconJournal.com or our various apps and also in the print edition. In March, Democrat Marsha Fudge resigned her seat in the U.S. House of Representatives to become the United States Secretary of Housing and Urban Development in the Biden administration. This means there will be a primary August 3rd, I believe I have the date right, to determine who will run against Republican candidate in November. Now, since this particular district that includes Cleveland and a sliver that runs south to include Akron is pretty friendly towards Democrats, many pundits believe that the Democratic winner in August likely will prevail in the fall. So while there's a fairly crowded field, we are joined in this segment by one of the front runners, Chantel Brown. Chantel grew up in Cleveland. She has joined the Warrensville City Council in 2012 and currently serves Cleveland and its suburbs in Cuyahoga County Council. In 2017, she became the first black person or woman uh, to run the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. She's been endorsed by former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, Congressman James Claiborne of South Carolina, Akron Mayor Don Horgan, and former Akron Mayor Don Pasquale. Her campaign is cast her as an experienced insider who will work hand-in-hand with President Joe Biden to work for the people in Ohio's 11th Congressional District. We're also joined by Beacon Journal Politics reporter Doug Livingston. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Hi, thank Greg. you for having me. Now, maybe I'm an uh, um, out-of-the-box thinker and maybe uh, an or- unorthodox thinker, but I-, I believe the winner 
should be determined not by a coin flip or election. I think the person who wins should be the person who could best draw the district. And then for a tiebreaker, we'll have the person who get most of the communities right that are within the district and, and name most of the birds. Um, what, do you, what do you think? Do you think you're up to this challenge? I'm up for the challenge. Well, it, it's it, it, it certainly I, – I couldn't even describe what the district looks like. You know, sometimes they say Italy's like the boot. I'm not sure what this would even look like if you were trying to, you know, describe uh, what the district would be. But, but I guess that would be my first question, you know, that it's so – Diverse. I mean, right? I mean, just I'm just saying geographically, and, and not including you know the, the the folks who who live on all the streets and many you know suburbs and urban areas. I mean, how does one best represent such a, a kind of complex district, right? It is very complex. Um, I think I'm uniquely positioned to have an advantage because as the only um, current legislator in the race, I, I have had the, the the privilege and the responsibility of serving a diverse community in my current capacity as a county councilwoman uh, here in Cuyahoga County. Uh, I represent from the inner city of Cleveland to the outer ring suburb of Pepper Pike. So my constituency consists of some of the most impoverished to some of the most affluent and everything in between. So this will be um, very similar to the uh, constituency that I currently represent, just a little bit bigger. <laughs> Doug, I, I kind of ask you the same question as a politics reporter and a guy who, who covers Akron City Council. What's, what, do you, what do you make of this district? I mean, in, in terms of are, are there – commonalities or, or are there a lot of differences? What is, what's your thoughts? So I think the striking commonality, at least in the race, is um, some of the the narratives that are playing out in the Democratic Party between, you know, the insiders and the outsiders and and who is best to to push the Democratic Party in the direction that will best serve its its members. Is it towards the progressive left? Is it towards the centrist middle? Is it getting things done? Is it getting things done that need to be done right now to make to make the progress that a lot of people are, are calling for, especially in this moment coming out of COVID? Um, so, yes, it is a diverse district. Um, a lot of people in Akron and Summit County have they say they felt ignored, you know, around campaign season. Uh, the candidates will come and talk to us. There hasn't been a competitive campaign in this district for a long time. And that goes um, for all the time that Marsha Fudge served as well as her predecessor. It's been um, it's pretty pretty locked in in terms of who's going to represent this district. So it is refreshing to see some some voices and some conversation and some some dialogue around how best to serve this this sprawling gerrymandered district. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've heard some of those share. I've heard some of those sentiments. They um, have been shared with me about the history of the district. And so that's why it's been important to my campaign to um, make our presence felt, to really come in and connect with as many uh, constituents as possible. Um, the other thing that I am, um, I've already made the commitment. I've got a, a campaign office there. So we're doing the work and I want to continue that. If I'm so fortunate to be the next representative of the 11th congressional district, what you see is what you get. So, um, you see me now, you'll continue to see me in the future. And what I, I always like to say to, to the folks who I, um, I'm so proud to serve is that I go where I'm invited. You know, we're, we're public servants. We're pretty accessible. At least I am. And I pride myself on being that way. And, um, so when you have events, you, you we have to, you know, keep us in the loop so we can come and make sure that we're in part, we're a part of those events and, um, and able to hear the conversations and address the needs of the people who, um, live throughout the district. 
Well, you bring up kind of a good point. It's, it's kind of, you know, we all have friends and we have diverse friends. I have Democrats, Republicans, I, you know, and, and, and even they can't agree on some things, right? I mean, I, I guess I'm kind of, you know, I have Democrats who are anti-vaxxers. I have Republican friends who are anti-vaxxers. I mean, what do you, how do you, I don't know, reconcile, I, I guess, representing an entire district, but, but trying to represent everybody and when we all, you know, can't really get along all the time? Well, diversity is our strength. You know, I think that, you know, having diversity of thought gives us an opportunity to really come up with um, a variety of ideas and approaches to sometimes solve the same problem. And so it's getting to the why and getting to the worldviews to help understand why um, people may feel or think the way that they feel. And I think too often that has been ignored. Too often we focus on the what instead of the why. And, and I think that is what has created the gridlock and the roadblock. Um, that you experience in D.C. As a as a county council member in Cuyahoga, I'm proud to say I've had the um, honor of working collaboratively with my um, Republican colleagues and making sure that we're focusing on the issues and, and the people that are trusting us to make decisions on their behalf. So it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination, Craig. It is hard work um, and it requires a lot of time and patience sometimes to get to those um, places where we can find um, common ground, but I'm in it for the, 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 I'm up for the challenge and I'm in it to make sure that we can find those places and grow from there. I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious and, and, and Doug, you, you, you probably hinted this question before that, that, you know, you, you still are serving, you know, in the role of the leader Democratic Party. Does that put you in an odd position running as a candidate? I mean, is it, are you able to wear two hats at the same time or does that give you a little advantage? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just curious. Three hats. So I am Cuyahoga County Council member, Democratic Party chair and candidate for Congress. So it um, it is not easy. The easy thing would to be to walk away from the Democratic Party chair position. Um, It's an unpaid position, one that uh, one that does conjure a lot of criticism. But what I've been doing is the job that I was committed, that I've been committed to do. People elected me to lead the Democratic Party. And under my leadership, I'm proud to say that we've been able to deliver the most votes from the precinct to the presidency from both the midterm and the presidential election. Despite not being the most populous county, we deliver the most votes in the state. And I'm pretty proud of that work. We've also, um, under my leadership, have been able to promote, promote more candidates to victory that are women and minorities. And so the progress that we've made, I just don't want to um, turn that over back to the days of old. And certainly the easy thing to do again would be to walk away, but I'm committed to doing a job that the people are entrusting me to do. And the other thing is that I don't know very many people who give up um, a job that they actually enjoy until they secure another one. So that's the other thing. So I, um, I, I don't, I don't know if it, 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 you know, it cuts both, both ways. There are some um, advantages and there are some disadvantages, but what I'm focused on is making sure that I'm doing the best job in every role that people are trusting me to serve in. Now, this might be putting the cart before the horse, but would you keep that top party position in Cuyahoga County if you came out successful in August and November? That's a good question. Uh, you know what? I've, I've thought about it a little bit. I really want to. So I would be up for reelection in 22. So I really want to make sure that we're putting it in capable hands and someone that will really um, take care of it. It's kind of I, I, I liken it to a little bit of, of my baby. I mean, I, I came in here. 
um, rolled up my sleeves, really got to work, um, raised more money than my predecessors, again, delivered more um, votes than um, anyone in the state. And so it's important to me that we maintain the progress. So I'm not uh, I'm not a solid yes or no. I'd like to see someone who is um, equally capable and willing to put in the work that's required to make sure that we continue the progress. And um, you talked about sticking with the issues and talking about the issues. Um, there's a couple of issues in Akron. I'm sure Cleveland and other American cities are dealing with some of these, too. Rising rents, housing issues, not enough affordable housing, and then um, the crime and violence that, um, you know, just last night at the uh, Akron City Council meeting, um, you had people standing up just pleading for help, talking about uh, how their, their neighborhoods are just unsafe. They're not the places they grew up in. And. There's children, um, you know, teenagers uh, now now committing the violent acts that we would normally consider to be, you know, so rare and perpetrated by much older uh, folks in the past. So I guess what are your um, concrete solution goals that you could bring as a, as a member of Congress to to reduce that violent crime and to add some affordable housing uh, for the folks of Akron and Summit County and, and the entire district? So. Let's take the um, issue of crime because there's no there's no uh, no pun intended, but no silver bullet. It's no quick fix. Right. That we have to make sure that um, every level of government is working to address this problem. So from the federal level, we really need to talk about straw buyers and those who are buying and selling guns and they're getting into the wrong hands. People who. Um, are committing these crimes, are obtaining the guns illegally. And so we have to address that. We also have to make sure that those young people that you're talking about have outlets and opportunities that too often um, they aren't being exposed to. Um, I had a I had a great conversation with some young men who are actually in college and, and, and putting themselves on a positive career path. And I and I point blank at them, you know, how did you choose this path versus another? And they shared with me it was the exposure and the experiences that their mentors and um and in some one one particular program, um, they're identified as linkage coordinators in the program that we have here called Closing the Achievement Gaps. Those linkage coordinators and mentors and um people who have given them exposure to opportunities that they otherwise might not might not have had on their own gives them um, optimism and hope and and helps them to understand that there are other things beyond what they see. Consequently, I think you should do more investment in those type of programs like Closing the Achievement Gap and Students of Promise because when I was in school, we had a lot of options. You know, we had sports, we had drama club, we had um, you know, just a number of extracurricular activities that were funded by the schools. And I don't think that those things are as readily available. We also have to um, consider some of the some of the programs that we're offering in school. You know, everyone's not going to be college bound. Right. So how does one who is not going to attend a four year college put themselves on a pathway to prosperity? And so trade schools, um, you know, introducing some of these that uh, earned through the certificate program, like uh, getting your CDLs. We have to make those more readily available. Currently, the way our um, Pell Grants are set up, you can't take advantage of those resources if you're getting into a program like for um, commercial driving. It has to be a two-year college program or higher. 
And so when we're talking about these programs with where you can earn a certificate, um, you know, start community college where you can go get your SCNA and, and then go on a career path, LPN to RN to BSN. But how do you get that first step in if you don't have the resources to um, to enter to the pro- into the program? So we have to make um, these programs much more readily accessible so that we can put people on a pathway to prosperity and reduce the hopelessness. As the crimes that are occur- that do occur, um, disruptors and interrupters are, are what they've been identified, making sure that we put people who maybe have had those past experiences that can speak to the people who are dealing with them now and, and let them know that these decisions that they're making to commit these crimes or um, uh, acts of violence uh, is no way to go. And I think that when it comes from a trusted source or someone that has walked in their shoes, um, it is a little bit better received. So investing in programs like that, which has been scientifically proven to reduce crime, is something that the Biden-Harris administration is actually discussing. And so um, making those investments will be critically important to the reduction of gun violence. But it's going to take the local level um, investing in more police and some of that funding can come from the federal level. And it's also going to take um, our statewide government to not promote legislation like stand your ground that makes it incredibly dangerous for people, you know, that uh, look like me in particular to walk on the streets. And so it's, it's a, again, it's a multi-layer problem, not a simple solution, nothing you can put on a bumper sticker, but that is again, the hard job and the hard work that's required as it relates to the for- affordable housing. I'm in the best position possible. Um, it's no secret. Secretary Fudge has been both a mentor and a friend to me. So when we talk about affordable housing opportunities um, and her coming from this district and knowing um, the disparate needs that exist, I am confident that um, we will be able to reverse some of the decades of disparities that we have uh, been dealing with. She's already made a significant request, and it's, I, I don't want to put the exact dollar figure on it, but billions to address um, even the Internet issues that we've had, the digital redlining, the physical redlining is something else she can address in her role. And I, I'm hoping to be a partner with her to be able to, again, deal with these issues around affordable housing. But we've got, again, an administration that's looking at once in a lifetime investments. And so we need someone who can bring home the bacon to really address these issues. And I think I am best positioned to do that. So, so thank you for that question. And I guess uh, off the issues and back on the politics, are you worried about getting outflanked on the left on some of these issues, especially in a district that is so, so blue? Um, You know what? I, I what I would say to that and what has served me well is I really don't ascribe to the labels as, you know, are you far left? Depending on who you ask, someone would say I was progressive and depending, you know, depending on the other person, they might say I was moderate. What I am is a person that is Focus on the issues. I've always have been focused on the service. And so when someone calls and they have an issue, whether it is um, where can I get the uh, next, where can I go for the next food bank? Um, is there any rental assistance available? Chantel, can you point me in the direction on how I can get a small business grant? They never end the conversation with, and oh, by the way, are you a Democrat or Republican or are you a moderate or progressive? They are just happy to have someone that is able to help them. And so that is what has served me well. And that is the philosophy and the mindset and the um, principles that I will continue to fight for the people that, again, are trusting me to make decisions on their behalf. So I think that, you know, being the Democratic Party chair has given me the unique privilege of working with those who are furthest left to those who are the most moderate and centrist in our party. Um, we have over a thousand members in the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party, and I, I've been able to manage that so far. So working with 435, and then when you shrink that down to Democrats, it gets even smaller. So that sounds like a dream to me, Doug. So I look forward to the challenge. 
Chantal, we're, we're just about out of time, but I, I'll, I'll have two, maybe not a softball question, but one evolves a ball. Um, two questions before we leave. Uh, have you ever had a sauerkraut ball? It's, a, it's an Akron thing. Have you ever had one? I have not, but I look forward to it. Okay, well, I'll tell you, I was at the Beacon for a year, and it took me a year before I had my first sauerkraut ball. So that's okay. How about a galley boy from Swenson's? Have you, uh, how about Swenson's? Have you ever been to Swenson's? <laughs> about Clinton's and we've got them here now so I am a creature of habit I will but I've heard nothing but great things so now that you put me on the hot seat and 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 now that everyone knows I have it then I absolutely have to do it so I promise the next time I am in the River City I'm hitting up Clinton and We'll we'll circle back and I can give you my feedback on it. And I won't even bring up Luigi's whether you know with cheese or without cheese. We'll we'll, we'll save that one for another day. So, thank so you. Chantel and Doug, thank you both for joining us and, and for this great conversation and and best of luck. Thank you so much. Have a great one, guys. God bless. Take care. We are continuing our discussion among the two presumed front runner Democrats seeking to run in November to fill the 11th congressional seat created by in March by the resignation of Marsha Fudge, who became the United States Secretary of Housing and Urban Development in the Biden administration. Nina Turner is seeking to run against the Republican candidate by winning the August 3rd primary. This far-reaching district stretches from Cleveland to Akron. And since this district includes Cleveland and the sliver that runs south to include Akron, it's pretty friendly towards Democrats. So many pundits believe whoever wins the Democratic race in August will be the likely prevail in the fall. Right? It sounds good. So, so welcome. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you. Now, I, I'm not much of a walker myself, but, you know, I, I'm looking at the district and it looks like, you know, maybe in a day or two I could walk from north to south and, and maybe go sideways a little bit. It, it feels like the outer banks of, of uh, the Carolina. It is an odd shaped district. Would you agree? I would very much agree. And, you know, 10 years ago or a little slightly over 10 years ago, I was in the Ohio Senate and I actually voted against that map. Uh, because it is so gerrymandered and people feel the effects both in uh, greater Akron and also in greater Cleveland. I've talked to people who some don't even know what congressional district they live in because across the street is one representative and across the street may be another. So it definitely does a disservice, I think, to the voters and to the citizens of both areas. So when you were and you voted, did you have any idea that you'd be running in it? Did you have any inkling? I mean, were you looking ahead that this maybe was, you know, a possibility? No, not at that time. I mean, my vote was purely about doing what I thought was right. And, you know, even though Democratic voters outnumbered the number of votes in the, in the state overall, the way that my Republican colleagues drew the lines was uh, to ensure as I and I do know both parties do that. But I think in the in the time of technology, gerrymandering has become uh, uh, more of a problem than it ordinarily would be. And so I voted against the map on on, a, on principle and, and really believing that the citizens or the voters were not being served, that politicians were being served, but not the voters. And I, and I should mention, I, I neglected earlier to mention that Doug Livingston is joining us. He, he is our politics writer. He also covers Akron City Council. I think it might be a good time for, for Doug to talk a little bit about maybe does Akron feel, I don't want to say slighted, but but do they they feel like maybe they're underrepresented? Because you have Cleveland up north, and that's kind of the the, the big city, right? Yeah, I think a lot of the campaigning in the 11th district is going to be in Cleveland. Um, last year, Marsha Fudge's Democratic primary victory, I think she collected 9,000 votes in Summit County. Um, so the district does include Summit and Cuyahoga County, and the attention has basically been up north. Um, Summit County is intersected by four congressional districts, 
represented uh, by people who don't live in Summit County, and that's a product of the gerrymandering that Senator Turner just mentioned. So um, there is a sense out there talking with people that we have the most congressional districts and, and the least representation, or, or at least a feeling that our voice doesn't carry all the way through to D.C., um, unless it's an issue that uh, matters to you know Cleveland and maybe could trickle down and help us too. So I don't know, Senator, what your thoughts are on what you're hearing out there in the campaign when you go through Akron on, on whether people are surprised that there's a race, are they surprised that they're in a, in a congressional district, or feel that they may not have their voices heard? Yeah, a little. I mean, I, I know we're podcasting, so people can't see me nodding my head, but I was absolutely nodding my head to everything that you were saying, Doug. And that is, again, another reason why I voted against those maps. It makes no sense. Not only is this a special election in the summertime, you know, let's just put that out there, that time that people are not accustomed to voting. But, yes, I have heard that the, the from residents of the greater Akron area that they do feel very much left out. And I think another point that I just want to bring to the listeners' attention, when we think about the 11th Congressional District and its history, you know, over 50 years has only been represented by three people. Well, greater Akron has only been in this district for 10 of those 50 years. And I think that may have something to do with it, too, notwithstanding the gerrymandering as well. But to come into to be carved into a district that has such a rich and robust history in Cuyahoga County was patently unfair uh, to the voters, to the residents of Akron. And, you know, I've been to Akron many, many times when it did not have any electoral you know, it didn't it didn't it didn't um, benefit me electorally. And I've done a lot of civic based work in Akron over the years. And I'm really, really proud of that. I think only one time in my political career have the residents of greater Akron or at least even the state had a chance to vote for me. And you both may recall is when I ran for secretary of state in 2014. But other than that, I have been in and out of Akron for civic reasons for a very long time. And I'm really proud of that. Are there some issues that are unique to Akron, you think? I mean, that, that are very different. I mean, do we have some, some different horses in a, in a different race than, than, than perhaps the, the folks in Cleveland? I think it's really similar, Craig, and, and that's the beautiful thing about it, because as we fight to lift this district, we should be one. Um, if I had to say one, I mean, it's, it's really trying to make sure that the greater Akron area feels a cohesiveness back to Doug's point. And, and the way that that's going to be hard because of the history and the gerrymandering, but I think one of the ways to do that is to be present there to hire people from that area, which I am modeling that both on my campaign and also having a campaign office and just being present there. And so I certainly plan to not just only have an office, another office there should I win, but also to, to have lots of meetings to be with not just elected officials, and I'm happy to have the endorsement of the the black elected officials of Summit County, but also to be there with the just the community, the regular community uh, on a regular basis. But when we think about trade, you know, that's the thing that comes close to mind for me and the bad trade deals that have hurt both uh, all of Northeast Ohio. So whether we're talking about the rubber industry, which is, you know, Akron is king or queen in that, or we're talking about steel, where Cleveland is king or queen to that so much of the both the pain and the opportunity of Northeast Ohio is so tied together. And I want to be that bridge to to let us know we're one district and we're fighting for economic justice, political justice, environmental justice, you know, all of the justices uh, together. We're going to rise together. While you're talking about the issues, and I know, you know, jobs and trade and economic prosperity is huge to lifting all boats. Um, and a couple of issues that Akron and I know Cleveland are facing, too, is just finding a safe, affordable place to live. 
and that, you know, that has issues with the, the violence. You know, we've heard people stand up at city council in Akron and just cry for help from the gunshots that they hear at all hours of night. And we know that rents are rising. We know that the affordable housing stocks are not keeping up with the demand. Um, so I'm wondering what, um, what kind of policies you would push, where you would try and push Congress if you had the chance to, to bring back some opportunity for, for some safe, affordable housing and safer neighborhoods. Yeah, thank you for that. And we are fortunate that our, our uh, former Congress lady is now, you know, Secretary of HUD. And I do believe that I will be able to work in concert with her to really be able to deliver for all of Ohio, but particularly Northeast Ohio. Affordable housing matters. And I think that the federal government should infuse even more money to make sure that not only that we build new affordable housing and make it really affordable, but also take the housing stock that we have where there are vacant and abandoned properties and make the requisite investments in that in partnership with counties, make the requisite investments in the stock that we already have and also green it while we are at it. Certainly anything that is built now moving into the future should be green. But I think we have awesome opportunity to be able to rehab a lot of the housing stock that we already have and green it at the same time. And then, Doug, I think what also complements that is that, and, you know, I was reading a stat and I believe the stat was in both counties, Women are women and and their children are like fifty have a fifty percent poverty rate in both Cuyahoga and and uh, and Summit County combined. We have got to deal with poverty in a multi prong approach, but one very important approach is to make sure that people are making a living wage, living wage, and having health care. And you both know I'm a strong proponent of Medicare for all. To me, goes absolutely hand in hand to ensuring a better, more robust quality of life. And even $15 an hour is not enough, but I think we are blessed in Northeast Ohio to have relatively affordable, uh, you know, affordable living costs. But if you are poor and you're barely making it, even living somewhere like here as compared to maybe a Chicago, it's still not enough. And we know that the, the moratorium on evictions is about to go away. I mean, there's some confluence of things that are going to bump down on people who are already suffering. And we need to do everything that we can from affordable housing to putting people back to work to making sure that people have a living wage so that they can, you know, when we think about the pursuit of life, liberty, and I want to add in there everybody's happiness. To me, the federal government can play a pivotal role in partnership, though, with County government and local government and state government cannot do it all by themselves. And in Akron, you all have a plan. Um, I forget what they call the economic development plan, but it's where the county came together with the city to create a plan that is going to deal with that violence that you just talked about, Doug, very keenly aware. They also talk about the fact that uh, not only violence, but but housing is also in that plan and also the disparities that are felt in the African-American community. I was really, really proud uh, to see Akron elected officials coming together in that way uh, to really plan and put forward a plan that is going to try to ameliorate uh, those concerns. Sure. And there's our, um, you know, there's task forces on the county and city level looking at the disparities, um, economic housing, uh, health outcomes, uh, you name it. Um, yeah. The, the violence, um, it seems to be an issue where there's more being demanded in terms of accountability for police. At the same time, we have neighborhoods that um, don't feel safe to live in. Um, so where do you walk that balance to, to provide 
fair policing that that produces the outcomes that 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 would lead to safer safer environments for people living in Akron. Yeah, it's both. And, you know, I have law enforcement in my in my family, so I understand all sides of this. You know, I was really happy to be able to work with Governor John Kasich on the when he signed an executive order to create the task force on community and police relations. And that was on the heels of a lot of shooting of unarmed, not only just grown black men, but also the shooting of a, of, of a little boy um, here in Cleveland. And to be able to work with the governor and folks probably know Governor Kasich is a conservative Republican and here I am a progressive Democrat but you know what we came together and we put aside who's the Democrat and who's the Republican and we came together to do something really good for our community to hear the cries of the people and to me that model at the time it was the end of 2014 going into 2015 was a very good and robust model that other states were looking at at the time to bring stakeholders together and to me that is how we're going to transfer it's not going to be one person it's not one magical president or one magical congressperson as much as I wish that I was that magical person, but it's really going to be all of the pillars of society coming together. And what that task force was able to do, the governor made yours truly a co-chair along with his safety director. He did that. And then he brought business, faith, other elected officials, and law enforcement themselves. And I think we need to duplicate that model in terms of what it will take to make communities that are suffering from gun violence safer, and then also communities who have been crying out for justice. And we know particularly communities of color, and if I, I want to bring that down even a little more, the African-American community certainly has been plagued with anti-blackness and injustice within a legal system that continues to see black people, particularly black men, as more dangerous than anybody else, uh, not seeing the humanity of the black community. If we have all of the pillars of society moving in the same direction to find the fixes, which is there are good law enforcement officers out there, absolutely, no doubt. Humanity can be both good and bad, no doubt about that. How do we change policies and procedures on all levels of government to make sure that we are only sending law enforcement out to the worst of the worst? How do we complement them so that if somebody's having a mental health crisis, you're not sending the police and then that person ends up, you know, dead, not in every case. I want to be clear because I know the pressures that are on law enforcement uh, right now, and, and some of them feel as though, you know, a lot of people don't respect what they do. A lot of people do respect what they do. And when you survey African-Americans, even though the system itself has not been fair to them, most African-Americans still believe in the system of policing. They just don't want to see unarmed black people gunned down. They want to see justice served. Both of those things go hand in hand where we can hold law enforcement accountable and they need to be transparent. And at the same time, coming together, all of us who have a stake in our respective communities, moving in the right direction to make sure that people feel safe and that the areas where there are poverty, that people can see their way through, that we're changing their material conditions. And so, Doug, as you and Craig can both hear from me, I'm very passionate about this area because I've done a lot of work in this area. And because me, I am a black woman in America and having people in my family who are in law enforcement, but also having those same people be profiled, you know, from time to time over the course of their lives, I definitely see this from a multi-layered lens. And I I want to continue my work in that area to, to help be a beacon of light to try to turn this thing around. And I just have one more question before I let Craig land this plane. Um, <laughs> you mentioned working with DeWine, and I was out speaking with some voters. Casey, at the Gov Casey. Governor Casey. I'm sorry, Casey. Yeah. Governor Casey. Yeah. One governor off. Um, <laughs> and 
the concern from voters that I spoke to this week wasn't about working with moderate Republicans, but moderate Democrats. Um, and that kind of, you know, we see that Mayor Horgan has endorsed your opponent. Um, we, we saw your, your rhetoric, uh, when campaigning for Bernie Sanders against Joe Biden last year. So, um, what can you do to, to calm those concerns from voters who wonder if your position within the Democratic Party moves you too far from the center to be able to work with the coalition of Democrats to get things done? Oh, well, Mayor Jackson endorsed me in the, in the, in the, in, in the city of Cleveland, which he is the, you know, the Cleveland is the largest city and, uh, you know, in Northeast Ohio. And I appreciate that endorsement by uh, Mayor Jackson because he is, although he's a Democrat, he marches to the beat of his own drum. What I would say to that, Doug, is people should look at my body of work and not just the one-sidedness. You know, the Cleveland Plain Dealer came out very clearly and laid out my record, that I have a record of being courageous, that I have a record of building coalition. And if you look at, and I only want to use endorsements as a snapshot because I want the voters to know that I know that the ultimate endorsement is what happens on election day. But if you do look at who has endorsed me? I have garnered endorsements from Democrats from the entire ideological spectrum, from my mayor to to council people like Blaine Griffin to state reps like Juanita Brent and others who who were solidly in the corner of the now President Joe Biden to national figures like Congresswoman Katie Porter, who was a, a, a national co-chair for Senator Warren or Congresswoman Presley who was a state co-chair from Senator Warren. I have people from all of the camps uh, who have endorsed my campaign and who are coming out to support my candidacy. I am a bridge builder. Now, when people want to talk about rhetoric, what I believe is most harmful, we shouldn't focus on rhetoric. We should focus on what are the needs of the people, people not having health care. You know, one million Ohioans lost their health care because they lost their jobs during the pandemic. Are people living robust lives? Are they making a living wage? You know, do can people unionize without fear of that their employer is going to rain down on them and stop them from doing it? So what I am saying, Craig and Doug, is that I focus in on changing the material conditions. And to me, that should be more important than a few choice words in a heated primary season where everybody knows that happens what I was talking about is not necessarily those two men. I was just talking about two ideologies, neoliberalism and neo-fascism, and really kind of, you know, channeling the hurt and the pain of people. But absolutely, I can work with and I've proven it. So people don't have to just take my word. Look at my record. I was I was the, I was the whip in the Senate, you know, for Democrat. everybody in my caucus was not, you know, necessarily progressive. I've worked with a lot of um, of Democrats, you know, across the spectrum, even when I was in the Senate. And we know in Cleveland, Ohio, everybody on the Cleveland City Council, as I was a Cleveland City Council person, is a Democrat, but we're not necessarily homogeneous. So I do have a record of working with all types of Democrats across the spectrum. Yes, I will be able to, and I look forward to being able to work with the Biden-Harris administration, but I do have the courage to ask for more. And I don't think that is a, a bad thing. That is a beautiful thing to say, hey, we're doing a good job here, but the needs are great. Cleveland is the poorest city of its size, as we know, um, in the United States of America. A greater Akron is suffering, too. I think it's about a 23% poverty rate. And so we do need leaders there who are going to push Democrats to do more, to change the material conditions of the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class. And that's really what I'm, what I'm fighting for. But, but dovetailing on, on Doug's question, I, I guess I'm curious, you know, you're, you're, the other leading front runner is, is the president, leader of the Democratic Party in Cuyahoga County. Does that create kind of a 
an oddness at the end of this election? I mean, will, will there, you know, will there be cooperation? Whoever wins, no matter. And I also feel like maybe in, in, a, in an ideal world without a, a primary, you know, you both might be rooting for each other. You know, I mean, it, it just does create, you know, these primaries do create odd opponents, right? Sure, they do. I mean, I would hope so. I, again, as I've been saying in our conversation, I do know and believe that it really is going to take all of us. We might not agree on how to get to certain places, whether it's Medicare for all or canceling student debt, which I might add that every single elected official who served in the 11th congressional district, I got a lot of robust noise coming from right, outside the window, but every elected official from Congressman Stokes to Congresswoman Stephanie Tell Jones to Congresswoman now Secretary of HUD, Marsha Fudge, supported universal health care. As a matter of fact, Congresswoman Fudge signed on to Medicare for all. So I'm saying that to say that whether it is health care or jobs or housing or trying to eradicate poverty, it is going to take all of us, even if we don't always agree on how to get there. So it is my hope um, that we do work together. Well, thank you for creating a very awkward transition to our last few questions uh, with those heavy <laughs> topics. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we are Akron. We asked your other opponent this question. Have you ever had a sauerkraut ball? That's kind of an Akron thing. Craig, what was the question? Have I ever had a sour? Sauerkraut ball. That's, a, that's an Akron cuisine. I, I guess it, it's the unofficial food of the city. I have not, and I do have many friends in Akron. They've never, I guess because I'm always trying to eat as healthy as I can, but I do like sauerkraut, so I'm going to have to ask uh, Councilwoman Tara Moses Samples to get me a sauerkraut ball when I get back there. I have not. How about Swenson's, a galley boy from Swenson's perhaps? Oh, yeah, definitely Swenson. Um, I'm not a big beef eater, but I have had a galley boy, and I love their chicken sandwiches. So, yes, I have been to Swenson's, so I can get one check mark. Well, how about how about Luigi's for the final one? I have not been to Luigi's. Okay, well, you have to get you have to get cheese on the salad. And if, if you don't get cheese on the salad, they, they they may look at you very strange. So, okay, well, so I'm, I'm I'm one out of three, so I got to get. No, to that's the, right. No, no, that's that's fine. It's a <laughs> So, thanks, Doug and Nina, for joining us today, and and we really appreciate the thoughtful discussion. Thanks for having me, uh, Doug and Greg. Craig, it was very nice talking to you today. That's all the time we have today for the Now You Know Akron podcast. Be sure to join us next week. Episodes are released every Wednesday wherever you download your favorite podcasts and also available on beaconjournal.com and all our various apps. Before we go, I'd like to thank our producer, BJ Lisko, for making us sound great. And I urge you to support local journalism by becoming a subscriber. If you've already signed up, you have my heartfelt thanks. Until next week, Now You Know Akron.